Hello to all my listeners and welcome to today's podcast titled Chronic Loneliness and Why Does It Hurt? I'm sure some of you are asking, why would you choose to talk about such a specific of a topic when you look at the scope of the entire podcast? Why are you talking about a symptom of depression when we have been tackling the broad subject of CPTSD, my own personal account, and my knowledge on healing and hope? This is the bonus episode, and I thought long and hard about what to talk about. The number one idea that kept pushing on my mind to speak about was loneliness. And why, you ask? Because it demands to be acknowledged, and like pain, it demands to be felt and recognized for the impact it left on my life. When we hear about loneliness, we go one of two ways. We think about ourselves or we think about a flawed self. Much like when we hear mental health or illness, we can either turn to ourselves or our external observations about other people who are suffering with themselves. Throughout this whole podcast, you have seen me discuss issues that are brought upon inequality and suffering. I have told you my story through the eyes of a child that transitioned into an adult highly interested in medical knowledge and understanding about how the self responds to environment. But I have not spoken on the motif of my life and that is loneliness the state of being alone, defined as sadness from having no company, feeling remote. It's labeled as an epidemic by the American public health system. Research on loneliness prevention has been instilled by the public health system to come up with effective interventions for loneliness at a population and individual level. Because why would this not be a health epidemic if 50% of adults over 80 are lonely and over 70% of adolescents and young adults experience loneliness day to day? How are we not spiraling? Not to mention the huge correlation of loneliness and chronic health conditions due to its effect on the immune system. Loneliness is so big. And thus, labeling this episode chronic loneliness does not give it enough credit for how something can make you feel, for how something can make you feel so empty and hollow, how that can essentially navigate and shape your whole life. Believe me, loneliness is the fullness of sorrow because it gives you something to feel when you lack in too many areas. I used to pride myself for my independence for as long as I could remember. I was so mature for my age on terms of knowing how to do things outside of the school setting. I prided myself in knowing how bills worked, how transactions at a grocery store worked, how to clean houses, how to take care of babies. From a young age, I was taught to trust no one and that the world was so bad I could not trust nor accept any form of kindness towards me because how would I know the intention? My father had raised himself at the age of 12 and wanted me to know how to navigate the world with fear and extreme precaution. Especially since I was a female, I would never be able to accept any form of kindness or generosity from anyone else besides my parents because they were the only people I could trust. I had to be careful because my understanding was that everyone wanted to hurt me. If teachers would reach out to me, I had to deny it. Friends, friends of family, because no one was safe. I grew up being trained to push people away. I felt proud when I would tell my classmates that I was doing adult things, that I was alone, but free. I felt free, but that was an ironic statement because for most of my childhood, I was trapped and locked away at home, rarely having access to the world. But I was living in a sea of lies for most of my childhood. I had convinced myself that I was indeed free. Or maybe that was just me surviving. I mentioned before that my entire family was my mom, dad, and baby sister. We had no grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nothing. I always wondered why and never got an answer as to why I didn't have them. When my father wasn't around, I would listen to my mom talk to someone she called mom and her sister. I knew my mom had a family somewhere. I just never understood why they never came to see her and eventually save her. And why am I not allowed to be exposed to them? As I got older, my mother began to tell me that she left her whole family in El Salvador to come to America, 
when my older brother was around nine. She ended up going back when he tragically passed, and my father brought her back to Virginia when she ended up pregnant with me. She never saw her family again for 20 years. I would struggle hard to understand why I couldn't have an extended family when every single person I knew did. They all had grandparents. Everyone had grandparents. Everyone had cousins. But why is my family so different when it feels like we are the only ones on the planet? My heart would break and gut would sink when I thought about the life I could have if I had an extended family member from either side. Being the chronic liar I was in elementary school to get by, I would make up fake family members to fit in with my classmates, tell them they had come for the weekend or that my cousin was in town. Sometimes my mother would get older ladies from our church and tell us to call them grandmother. It made me uncomfortable. I understood that she did that because she could sense that me and my sister longed to have relationships with family, but the notion that I would have to call someone else's grandma grandma made me sick. I didn't want to. And that was fake and wrong. When I was 19, my father opened up to me about some abuse he had endured. How his own family had hurt him. How they left him, neglected him, rejected him. His mother was the only one that loved him. And she died when he was a child. He was very damaged. Sometimes generational trauma acts in ways of the victim's attempt to protect. Not knowing it actually causes more harm. In his mind, he was shielding us from being hurt by extended family. When in reality, he was hurting us deeply cutting off so many connections from what we could have because he never allowed us to have contact with my mom's side of the family either because of his resentment. He would tell me all extended family was bad and we would be better off by ourselves. I think one of the most life-changing moments in my life was meeting my mother's side of the family at the age of 22. They are a group of the most loving individuals who always longed to meet me. How I immediately knew how much of my pain would have ceased and how much trauma would have not taken place if any one of them would have been present while I was growing up. I would be an entirely different person, but when I finally met them, it was simply too late for me to build those relationships. I was so different from them. I could barely speak Spanish. I had different views on life, different perspectives. I am so different from them. All we get to have is casual conversation. They are strangers and I don't know them. It burns me alive that I'll never be able to have those family relationships with people that have the title of family when meeting them felt like I was meeting strangers. I still struggle to think about how I can build a greater relationship with them because a part of me just thinks it's too late. In 2020, when I was visiting California for the first time, I got a call from this lady who said she was my father's sister or half-sister, I don't know. She wanted to meet me and had found me on Facebook. She lived about two hours from San Diego where I was staying, so we arranged a FaceTime call. This was the first time any family had reached out to me directly. I wondered who else knew about me. The call went well. She expressed her desire in wanting to meet me. Based on the trip I was on, I didn't have time to really see her, but I talked to her and her three daughters, who I can assume are my cousins. This was crazy because it was coming from my dad's side. It took nearly 20 years for me to meet anyone genuinely. I never reached out to anyone through Facebook because I was scared. Scared they didn't care for who I was, that I was nobody. In my late teens, it became a game and how long I could go without meeting a relative. But my inner child crippled in fear that it would be forever and I would die without ever meeting anyone. I'm my father's child, when for a period of my life I also wanted to start my own family and shield my future children from having any contact with any family member of mine to move far away and start a new life. Family never meant anything to me, and I would openly admit that. Family first? No. Family last. 
because all they do is hurt me. If I were to start a family, I would actually want us to love each other. I would actually spend time with my kids and have kids close in age so they won't feel alone or abandoned. I would have family time and involve a father, a two-parent income household, and I would allow my friends to be part of my kids' lives. I would socialize my kids and find them the best care when I would have to work. My children's babysitter would never be an inanimate object with a screen. That's something I was super adamant about and still am. Being the oldest in a small family with an absent father, a mother who needed my help at all times, and a sister who always needed something done for her, I had a lot of roles. I was left to meet all my emotional needs. Being lonely, me, no one's concern. I didn't have a lot of friends at school. And school is the only place I would be able to interact with other people, and where I could take on the role of being a kid. However, if y'all listen to that education podcast, I was also bullied and ridiculed at school regularly, so it wasn't ideal. But it was something, and enough to allow me to survive. Enough company to barely make it. So like I was saying, I had to meet my needs. I had this imaginary person in my mind for as long as I can remember. She would come out when I was scared, angry, or upset. I describe her as a slightly older female with a soothing voice that would repeatedly tell me that everything was going to be okay. She would use my arm to self-soothe me, having me repeatedly rub my shoulder or face to help me calm down. All I had to do was close my eyes, and her ghostly feminine spirit would come help me regulate. So there was her. But mostly it was myself. I would always be alone. I played alone for many hours every day. I don't have a single memory of someone ever playing with me, besides the time when I would play with my classmates on the playground. I would do everything alone. I would do crafts, play outside, eat, do homework, think alone. My whole life, I didn't mind all those things. But when I reached the preteen years, I remember the terror, the screaming, the violence in my home. I longed heavily to literally have anyone in my life to come save me in any way, in any form. I would be shaking in fear, experiencing speech terror in the middle of the night, writing in my notebooks how I longed to li- for literally anyone to come rescue me, to be with me. I would write because I couldn't form words. I would spend nights upon nights crying out to God to forgive me for whatever I had done so that he would allow me to have someone, just anyone, so I wouldn't have to be alone all the time, making my best attempts to hold myself, to self-soothe, I found ways of coping and self-harming because watching blood rush down my arms and legs felt like a warm hug. When I was 13, I learned what depression was. I was diagnosed with severe depressive disorder by my pediatrician, but nothing was done about it. Probably because my parents didn't believe in therapy or medicine or any form of help. And they especially didn't want me on any medication because they said it would go against God that it would mentally impair me forever. I knew a major symptom of depression was loneliness but I couldn't help that. It was because of my situation. So was I really depressed? Because whenever something good did happen to me, I would be overjoyed for weeks. Like what even was depression? I never had that, but I did have something wrong with me. I just didn't know what and left it at that. But I just didn't sit with my loneliness. Absolutely not. I have always had the most visual mind. I have always been able to see things differently. I can organize everything, reshape anything. I visualize everything. So I daydreamed every day. Since starting grade school, I would let my mind wander whenever it pleased. I would leave my current shit show of a childhood and become a girl who had a supportive family. In my daydreams, I was usually the middle child because I didn't feel worthy, not even in a daydream of allowing me to be the baby of the family. But I did have like three older siblings or sometimes just one. I would have supportive parents who knew what they were doing and who would help me with school. 
I would have aunts, uncles, and cousins. Sometimes it wouldn't even be all that. It would just be me imagining if I got to spend a few hours with a safe person. I would daydream of having friends in school a few years older than me who would want to hang out with me. Very minuscule things that I would just spend hours thinking about. The what if. What if I just had 30 minutes of attention from literally anyone? These daydreams were the reason I could fall asleep at night. Because I would just be transported into another world. Another life where I was loved and not alone. I don't want to ignore the idea that the feeling of loneliness is a person-by-person case. Some people experience loneliness because they physically have no one or have no support system. Other people experience loneliness even if they are surrounded by family and friends. They may feel as if no one understands them or if they are frequently left out despite people telling them that they love them or that they are needed. Other people simply feel lonely due to mental health reasons. Depression is something that can turn you against yourself, making you have a very negative thought against yourself, or that you are unloved, unworthy, or simply undeserving of having support. When we talk about loneliness, we talk about an invisible health condition, which is very much debilitating. I speak about loneliness because it exists so heavily in our populations, and a major aspect of PTSD is the issue with lack of support systems, with a lack of accountability, Because the absence of these things lead people into a hopeless state. It's the idea of, let me go through it with you, that changes the whole thing. Because if people suffer alone, they suffer significantly more than if someone else was helping them through every step of pain. And pain is not linear. It's quite the opposite. So that gives way to support, leading to people who breed resiliency. With the telling of my story, I want to highlight the link between childhood trauma and adult loneliness to close us out. As we know... All that happens to you as a child comes to haunt you in adulthood, and especially in physical ways. There's a quote by Gabriel Maté that reads, Children do not get traumatized because they get hurt. They get traumatized because they're alone with the hurt. Simply put, without support, reassurance, and assistance with emotional regulation, children who undergo trauma are more likely to experience ailing health at the onset of adulthood because their bodies have not known how to handle events so much greater than their minds can comprehend. Children who receive support early on go on to become more resilient when faced with other issues in the future. In other words, trauma is unavoidable, but how it is handled is what makes the difference. It always struck me as odd that chronic loneliness could be so controlling over the body. The National Institute of Health concludes that loneliness is associated with greater mortality rates. There's a 26% increase on premature death. And why is that? Well, when people are experiencing loneliness due to factors out of their control, their health behaviors begin to change, such as the quality of nutrient intake or sleep. Morbidity only grows due to their body's mental, emotional, and physical states being altered by behaviors and creating changes in the brain. Loneliness makes us sick and acts as a disease. I have heard professors mention that humans are evolved to survive in groups, making adverse health outcomes become a consequence of refraining from social relationship and connection. I remember being 19 years old and facing an issue I had never faced before. I was blessed to have so many people in my life that year that I was struggling to manage my time and attend all the hangouts, events, club meetings, and gatherings. It was an issue I'd never thought I would encounter given the childhood that I had. For the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone anymore. I had countless support, if needed, at any given hour. What happened after I left my house at 18 that allowed me to have a plethora of support one year after starting college? I shared how I needed to leave the toxic environment that I grew up in, in order to begin working on myself. But with that also came actual freedom for the first time, and an ability to become someone separate than the self I knew. I, for a short period before 2020, felt and was capable. 
the spark of energy and unknown courage allow me to reach out to people, and so forth. But there are several ideas that have reached a consensus on helping aid the loneliness epidemic. Individuals working on the self-to-learn skills on communication and to garner up the courage to start these conversations with others, to raise awareness, and to find common ground with people also struggling with mental illness. I found it incredibly helpful to open up about my tendency to self-isolate based on my past. Combating this was the hardest obstacle, and I still struggle with it to this day because it is more of a habitual behavior that I have due to what I know is familiar. So targeting areas that keep you from approaching other people and allowing in support. Secondly, within society efforts, government policies that serve to empower schools, the workforce, and communities with knowledge on the epidemic, and tools on how to make communities and opportunities of social gatherings affordable and available to people of all ages and all needs. Similar to so much of my other key points, this society simply needs help, and it's hard to feel so out of control with what can be done, with what we can be doing. Let's look at our current social circle. Let's start with that. Our parents, a friend, a partner, a neighbor. Who are we as healers, if not helpers and changers of the way this new generation approaches mental health? So if we are going to break the generational curse of loneliness, let's start somewhere. And I think this is the perfect route. Let's target the loneliness within ourselves and through that, change the lives of other people around us. People who don't know they are suffering from that. People who feel stuck but feel like they have no reason to. Let's enlighten people on this issue. Well, that's it. That's the bonus episode, I guess. I thank you guys again so much for tuning into this podcast. It means the world to me that you guys have listened to all eight episodes so far. And if this is your first time listening to this little short episode, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share this with anyone who may be interested on CPTSD, learning more about complex trauma, trauma disorders, or any of the related topics of the discussion that we have in this series there is so much more to come this is only an introduction series where i share my story but this is the beginning to so much more and last but not least i wish that you all be authentically well and until next time have a blessed day